brought to you by CGTN Europe. Hello and welcome to this week's Razor podcast. I'm Shinny Tamara. And I'm Emma Keeling. Today on the podcast, we continue to look at life after COVID-19. I mean, I, I, I always say that the, the world's worst ever nuclear accident has done less damage to the ecosystem than than people just going about their daily business. I know I just said life after, but, uh, you know, most of us are still very much living life during COVID, aren't we, Shinny? But did you have a nice holiday, more importantly? Yeah, it was good. But, you know, not knowing what's going on with COVID how we handle it really influenced the holiday. Earlier in the year, we looked at the anthropause, a term referring to the worldwide slowing down of human activity, which has led to many animals venturing further afield as we retreated inside. This term was coined by Dr. Christian Roots from the University of St. Andrews, all the way back in episode 12 of the Razor podcast. One of the interesting interviews that I did for that story was with Professor Jim Smith from the University of Portsmouth. He explained how this anthropause relates to studies of the Chernobyl disaster and how nature has responded in the wake of the 1986 nuclear meltdown there. But what are the parallels between anthropos and what happened at Chernobyl? Well, it's it's the fact that take the, the humans out of the equation and, oh, what do you know, all the animals want to come back out and, and you know, have a good old time in, in, the, in the wild. So last time we spoke about this story, you only heard a little snippet of my interview, but we thought we would share the whole thing right here. So please enjoy. Jim, first of all, just tell us about your research in Chernobyl. When did you actually start? Uh, Well, I started researching the Chernobyl accident in 1990 when I was a PhD student studying radioactivity in the the English Lake District because we got some fallout from Chernobyl here. Um, And I first went to visit the exclusion zone in 1994. And then we were studying where the radioactivity went in the ecosystem. So how much went into rivers, fish, different elements of the ecosystem. Uh, But more recently, in the last sort of 10, 15 years, we've been studying whether the radioactivity has had an impact on the on the wildlife in the exclusion zone, so the abandoned area around Chernobyl, and, and what's happening in that abandoned area. And so what is happening now? How has the wildlife adapted and changed? Well, what what actually Belarusian and Ukrainian, so the exclusion zone, half of it is in Belarus and half of it is in Ukraine. It's, it's Chernobyl, the site is in is on the border. Um, and, and just a few years after the accident, Belarusian and Ukrainian scientists noticed that the, the species associated with humans, so things like pigeons and rats, were disappearing because the humans had disappeared uh, and wild species were coming back. So, so we, we, we expect to see some subtle effects of radiation in some of the hot spots in the exclusion zone. We expect to see some subtle effects and, and we, indeed we have seen some subtle effects. But now, 30 years on, the radioactivity is more than 100 times lower than it was right after the accident. And the wildlife seem to be coping very well and doing even better because the people aren't there. So they're adapting better to radiation than humans. I mean, humans are worse than radiation. Well, yes. (laughs) I mean, I I, I always say that the, the world's worst ever nuclear accident has done less damage to the ecosystem than than people just going about their daily business. So before the accident, obviously, there were people who were too 
town. So it was a population of over 100,000 people. In, it's a huge area for, for Europe. It's a huge abandoned area. Um, it's, a, it's about 4,000 square kilometers. Um, and just before, before the accident, people were doing what people do, which is to chop down trees and do forestry, do fishing, hunting, agriculture, all these things, just humans occupying a space it does enormous damage to an ecosystem, unfortunately. And, and the fact that there's residual radiation there doesn't seem to bother the populations of animals and plants. It's it's the benefit of not having us there anymore that, that's, that's caused a wildlife explosion. So are you seeing animals that are really seen, if ever, in the area? Are they coming back in force? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the, the, the first recorded increases were on things like wild boar, who have a fast multiplication rate so they re reproduce quickly and and their populations grew very quickly uh, elk roe ro deer uh, wolves increased um, and things like lynx which have, uh, were very rare before the accident in because people weren't collecting data particularly before the accident but in that region we understand that before the accident things like lynx were very rare a white-tailed eagle uh, black stork uh, they were they weren't there before the accident, but after the accident they've 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 come back and and even links have been spotted in in the abandoned town of Pripyat, which is just just next to the power station. Do you think the anthropause is an important opportunity to measure human impact? Well, I think it I think it is, and um, it it's really challenging. Of course, these these are dramatic events. You know, Chernobyl was a terrible disaster, and and mainly for the from the um, evacuation and the socioeconomic effects that had probably outweighed the direct radiation risk to the people, but it definitely had a massive effect on the human population. Obviously, COVID-19 is having a massive effect on people's lives. And, you know, it's, it's clear that if we really want to make a big difference to how animals can, animal habitats and providing more habitats to animals, then we have to accept quite a big difference to our own, own lives. So this is a brand new segment where Shinny and I look at two stories that have been exciting us in the world of science. So Shinny, you go first because you're fresh from holiday and so you're going to have been reading up the entire time you've been away. Of course. Um, but yeah, I think because I was away and um, I was very much looking at science on a broader spectrum. For me, the science that I found most interesting recently is the blurring of science and art, particularly in the field of artificial intelligence. And there was an article in The American Scientist, and it was headlined, AI is blurring the definition of artist. And the article really opens up a whole sort of can of worms of how science and art can coexist, because, you know, artificial intelligence can spot patterns and can create art based on learning from art that's already been made. Um, but once that art has been created, you know, how are we as humans supposed to interpret it, price it, um, own it? I mean, there are just so many questions that get thrown up by this very disruptive technology. There are so many facets to this. Uh, and you're right, it's so fascinating because I guess initially it's like, well, it just goes to show that we're so much closer 
than we when than maybe a lot of people believe that just because we are on other sides of the planet doesn't mean we're somehow connected and it goes back a, a long way but it it just sort of brings that an, another level of of how you enjoy art or how you experience art as well so emma what have you got well mine's a bit of a cheat i've got to be honest because the most exciting thing that happened this week uh, was that I got to leave the house and actually go and film a story. So where I went, I went to EntoCycle. And uh, this is so good. And this is going to be a very, well, it's a big, it's a, it's a growing story, I guess you could say. So EntoCycle harvest black soldier fly larvae. And I actually saw an article this week which was talking about um, how much this is going to be worth, this industry is going to be worth. So by 2030, the, the black fly larvae, because it's, it's all about protein. We need this extra protein because there's so many more billion of us going to be on the planet. And by 2030, this industry is going to be worth about 2.57 billion US dollars. Um, and so what's kind of cool about this is that what these guys are doing um, is, and I think other, you know, other places around the world are doing this too, is that they're, um, they're, they're growing and harvesting these larvae. And you dry them and you can grind them down into a, into a meal it's like a protein meal and then you can give it to the animals and what we're trying to stop here is is you know the deforestation that's being done so we can plant more crops and also you know all the plundering of of our oceans because we're we're not only catching um shellfish and fish for us to eat we're also catching smaller fish so we can feed the aquaculture as well so what they're saying here is that you know here's another source of protein that's really sustainable i mean you can grow this you know in a in a facility and um, these these little guys, they they just eat waste, like food, human food waste. So you know, veggies, even meat. You can chuck all the stuff, coffee grounds, beer. You know, the the stuff that the um, the grains from beer. You can chuck all that. They just munch through those, and um, they grow nice and, and fat. And then they kill them off, and then they grind them down. And uh, it's it's you know lots of amino acids. It's hypoallergenic, so lots of really good things going on. So we went along to the facility. There was a bit of a smell, I must say, uh, a lot of ammonia in the air, which clung to the clothes on the way out. I thought people on the train might um, back off, but I, I was, okay. was wearing masks when you were. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's a it's pretty fragrant, but weirdly, like anything, you just sort of suddenly get used to the smell. Uh, but it did clear out my sinuses, so that was another bonus from this <laughs> from this trip. So it's actual larvae, fly larvae. You grind it all up so it's like a, a protein flour. So the, these um, black soldier flies, they lay the eggs and then they hatch, and after a couple of weeks the larvae get to a certain size um, that they're nice and plump and you can kill them off. And I won't tell you, because I was dead by Paul the cameraman, who you know very well, uh, he said, I dare you to eat to eat one. And I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna ruin it. I'm not gonna tell you whether I ate it or not. You're gonna have to watch the episode. <laughs> All right, it's time to wrap things up. But let's hear from Jim one more time. I, I think it sh- it shows that it is it is quite difficult to to have a, a bit make a big difference to ecosystems when humans are there. You know, Britain is a very densely populated. Uh, country by by global standards and we see that in Britain there aren't really any nat- true natural ecosystems in Britain and we have to learn to kind of coexist and and, in, and we've done that more or less successfully in different areas and, and this is these are the lessons we've got to learn is how we can you know we've got a population increases of humans we're expected to reach 9 billion by 2050 
Um, and how can we coexist with wildlife and, and give them more habitat? And there are difficult decisions to be made about that. You know, do we try and intensify, you know, put more of the human population in cities, have more intensive agriculture to leave more space for wildlife? Or do we try and have the human activity more spread out but coexist with wildlife? These are really tough decisions and we need the science to, to make those decisions. You know, we tend to think about our impact on the environment in terms of pollution, in terms of CO2, in terms of um, metal pollution of the ocean and these things. But actually, our one of our biggest impacts on the environment is just being there, doing the things that we do every day. And I think Chernobyl is certainly an, an incredible example of of what happens when you take away the people. That's it for another edition of Razor. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you want to see the videos from some of these stories, go to CGTN Europe and type in Razor. Until next time, bye.